I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. There are two ways that a person can choose to lead their life in this world, the way of wisdom or of folly, of light or of darkness, of virtue or of vice, of good or of evil. This theme exists not only in the Bible, but in the wisdom traditions of sages and philosophers from every corner of the earth in every age. By and large, the way of wisdom and of light was about learning through patient observation and through practice of the virtues to discern and live with the grain of the universe rather than against it. But Israel had what they believed to be an unbelievable advantage over the nations. The creator of the universe himself had simply handed to them the official operator's manual on how to be a human being. He showed his word unto Jacob, his statutes and ordinances unto Israel. He hath not dealt so with any nation, neither have the heathen knowledge of his laws, as the psalmist says. For Israel, then, the way of life and of wisdom was to fear the Lord, to diligently keep his commandments, to listen to God, and to hold in remembrance both his steadfast love and mercy and his justice that will one day hold all accountable to their deeds. And the way of foolishness and death was to live as though God did not matter or as though he could be manipulated like the idols of the heathen or as though there were no reward for the righteous or recompense for the wicked. But today, as modern people, we've dispensed with the philosophical notion of the good life and of the virtues and the religious categories of sin and wickedness and righteousness and judgment. Why? Well, these terms are all far too judgmental because they imply an objective standard of right and wrong, of good and evil, and of course, this would be offensive to sinful and wicked people. So instead, moving to the safer domain of psychology, we call it being well-adjusted. Have you ever heard that term before, a well-adjusted individual? It's kind of like the good life, except boring and far more marketable. For most of us growing up, at least in my own generation, our schools were very effective at forming us into well-adjusted, more or less decently behaved, middle-class, nine-to-five desk jockeys and cube farmers. This was the way of light. And as I remember well, our school's earnest attempts to steer us away from the way of darkness through programs like D.A.R.E. Anybody around for D.A.R.E.? Did that happen in Florida? Okay, I see some nodding heads. Whatever kind of drug prevention program, you know the drill. It was kind of like the meme from The Lion King where Mufasa warns a young Simba away from, a, a curious young Simba away from the, the dark edges at the, at the edges of their kingdom, the shadowy places, saying, that's where the drug dealers and dropouts go. You must never go there. Of course, they were about as successful with us as 
Mufasa was with Simba. Well, if we did successfully walk in the way of light and also find ourselves in the right religious and political affiliations, we could assure ourselves that we were one of the righteous. We could thank God, or our deity of choice, that we were not like other men, gangbangers, hippies, and IRS agents. It was generally understood, however, that the high pressures and expectations of modern life left even the best of us ill-adjusted from time to time, which is why, with the help of the right prescription, product, app, or gym membership, you can go right back to living your best life now. Christianity was viewed as just one of the many options on the market for helping you become well-adjusted again, help you improve your life become self-actualized, whatever that means. This should all sound like a pretty familiar script, right? After all, you're living in it. If you're here in Vero Beach, Florida, congratulations, you've made it. You are one of the well-adjusted. But here's the million-dollar question. What are we all trying to become well-adjusted to? Is it not what the Bible calls this present evil age, the world with a capital W, which is more or less in subtle rebellion against the Creator, Christ, and His dominion, which is presided over by the prince of this world, the devil, and whose fate is the lake of fire? St. John writes in his first epistle, Beloved, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God endures forever. Christ is not interested in helping us become well-adjusted to this age. He's here to save us from it. He wants us well-adjusted, body, mind, and spirit, to the age to come, the kingdom of God. No matter what happens to us in this age, even if, figuratively speaking, we have to pluck out an eye or chop off a hand to get there, Christ is here to help us die so that we can begin to truly live in him. C.S. Lewis uses a powerful image in his famous book, Mere Christianity. He writes, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of, throwing about a new wing here, putting on a new floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to come live in it himself. The well-adjusted life is all about my plans for my life. But God has his own plans for my life. 
From the beginning, he created the cosmos, the heavens and the earth, for the sole purpose of being able to share his life with human beings, to enter into friendship with us. When we cut ourselves off from the source of our life by joining in the devil's rebellion, he came in the flesh to suffer immeasurably for us, to deliver us from the bondage to sin and death, to allow us to become partakers of his divine nature through participation in the sacraments, through union with him. How dreadfully disappointing it must be to him when his creatures, even those called by his own name, just want to go on being decent little cottages rather than the palaces and temples he created them to be. Can you imagine? When Christ commands us in today's lesson not even to be angry with our brother or to look with lustful intent upon another human being or never to delude our speech with half-truths, vain assurances, and broken promises, he seems to be asking the impossible of us. And in one sense, he is. These things, getting our thoughts reined in, is indeed impossible to the flesh, to the old man living inside of us. But if we're careful readers of Scripture, we would see that it was never God's plan to perfect his people in the way of righteousness through compelling them to perfect obedience to the letter of the law with their corrupt worldly hearts as they are now. This is just the snare that the Pharisees fell into, which only led them to stubborn, unrepentant self-righteousness. No, his plan was not to conform us and burden us with conformity to the dead letter of the law, but to fill us with the spirit of the lawgiver, to circumcise our hearts. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. For Christians, the way of life, the hashtag blessed life, the enviable life, is not merely some outward teaching or set of rules to follow, though it is not less than that. Rather, it is Christ himself who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As Christians, we believe that all of us who have received holy baptism are now a new creation. We partake of the mind of Christ and of his circumcised heart through our mystical and sacramental union with him. And we have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit to fill us as his new temples, that he may walk in the midst of our hearts as he did with Adam and Eve in paradise. Even now we are living with one foot in the age to come. As St. Paul says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places. And this is in the past tense. I want to go home and meditate on that a little bit. The problem is that most of us, myself included, don't always experience this reality. And we fail to experience it to the degree that we would rather be well-adjusted to this world rather than the world to come. So how do we become well-adjusted to the kingdom of God? 
How do we become filled and replete with the Holy Spirit that will guide us into all righteousness and all truth? Well, when I first became a Christian and realized for the first time that I was a sinner, I tried hard to be a better person by forcing myself to struggle against my sinful passions. But, much to my continual chagrin, I found that when I pressured myself into avoiding anger or gluttony or avarice or lust or whatever it was, one of two things would happen. Either I happened to succeed for a short amount of time, and it got to my head, and then I would start judging other people as worse sinners than myself. Or else, my flesh would just take revenge like a sullen toddler and make a total fool out of me. It was like Christian yo-yo dieting. Eventually, however, through reading the writings of the saints on prayer and the spiritual life, I discovered that I was going about my Christian life in entirely the wrong way. As one contemporary saint writes, without Christ, it is impossible to correct ourselves. We will not be able to detach ourselves from the sinful passions. As Jesus himself says, without me, you can do nothing. In fact, the more you struggle against temptation, the more you fight the darkness, the more you'll only provoke a negative reaction from your sinful, evil self. Rather, let your aim be to put on Christ, to love Christ, to be united to Christ and to love his holy church. Let your efforts be turned to the study and memorization of Scripture and the Psalms in singing the hymns and following the liturgies of the church with rapt attention and reading the lives of the saints. And without knowing it, you will be sanctified and the passions will cease to torment you. This he calls the bloodless way that works. The way of life is simple it is simple, but it is not easy. Simply be united to Christ. Let him fill you with his life-giving spirit, and he will drive out the spirit of this age with its desires. Each of us must choose for ourselves whether we would rather be well-adjusted to this present age or to the age to come. Where are you this morning? Which path do you find your feet walking on? See, I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose Christ. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.